0: So Genesis chapter 41, when two full years had passed, Pharaoh had dream. He was standing by the Nile, when out of the river there came up seven cows, sleek and fat, and they grazed among the, feed, the reeds. After them, seven other cows, ugly and gaunt, came up out of the Nile and stood beside those on the river bank. And the cows that were ugly and gaunt ate up the seven sleek, fat cows. Then Pharaoh woke up. He fell asleep again and had a second dream. Seven heads of grain, healthy and good, were growing up on a single stalk. After them, seven other heads of grain sprouted, thin and scorched by the east wind. The thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven healthy, full heads. Then Pharaoh woke up. It had been a dream. In the morning his mind was troubled, so he sent for all the magicians and wise men of Egypt. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but no one could interpret for them for him. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, Today I am reminded of my shortcomings. Pharaoh was once angry with his servants, and he imprisoned me and the chief baker in the house of the captain of the guard. Each each of us had a dream the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. Now a young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. We told him our dreams, and he interpreted them for us, giving each man the interpretation of his dream. And things turned out exactly as he interpreted them to us. I was restored to my position, and the other man was impaled. So Pharaoh sent for Joseph, and he was quickly brought from the dungeon. When he had shaved and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream, and no one can interpret it. But I heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, In my dream I was standing on the bank of the Nile, when out of the river there came up seven cows, fat and sleek, and they grazed among the reeds. After them seven other cows came up, scrawny and very ugly and lean. I had never seen such ugly cows in all the land of Egypt. The lean, ugly cows ate up the seven fat cows that came up first, But even after they ate them no one could tell that they had done that done so so that they looked just as ugly as before then i woke up in my dream i saw seven heads of grain full and good growing on a single stalk after them seven other heads sprouted withered and thin and scorched by the east wind the thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven good heads I told this to the magicians but none of them could explain it to me then joseph said to pharaoh the dreams of pharaoh are one and the same god has revealed to pharaoh what he is about to do the seven good cows and seven years are seven years and the seven good heads of grain are seven years it is one and the same dream the seven lean ugly cows that came up afterward are seven years, and so are the seven worthless heads of grain scorched by the east wind. They are seven years of famine. It is just as I said to Pharaoh. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Seven years of great abundance are coming throughout the land of Egypt, but seven years of famine will follow them. Then all the abundance in Egypt will be forgotten, and the famine will be uh, and the famine will ravage the land. The abundance in the land will not be remembered because the famine that follows, it will be so severe. The reason that the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is that the matter has been firmly decided by God and God will do it soon. And now let Pharaoh, Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man and put him in charge of the land of Egypt. The plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his officials, so Pharaoh asked them, can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace, and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. He had him ride in the chariot as his second in command. And people shouted before him, make way. Thus he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, but without your word, no one will lift hand or foot in all Egypt. Pharaoh gave Joseph the name Zephanath-Panani, and gave Asenath, daughter of Potiphar, priest of On, to be his wife. And Joseph went throughout the land of Egypt. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And and Joseph went out from Pharaoh's presence and travelled throughout Egypt. During the years of abundance, the land produced plentifully. Joseph collected all the food produced in those seven years of abundance in Egypt and stored it in cities. In each city, he put the food grown in the fields surrounding it. Joseph stored up huge quantities of grain. Like the sand of the sea, it was so much that he stopped keeping records because. It was beyond measure. Before the years of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph, to Asenath, daughter of Potipirah, a priest of On. Joseph n- named his firstborn Manasseh and said, It is because God has made me forget all my troubles and all my father's household. The second son he named Ephraim and said, It is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. The seven years of abundance in Egypt came to an end, and the seven years of famine began, just as Joseph had said. There was famine in all the other lands, but in the whole land of Egypt there was food. When all Egypt began to to feel the famine, the people cried to Pharaoh for food. Then Pharaoh told all the Egyptians, go to Joseph and do what he tells you. When the famine had spread over the whole country, Joseph opened all the storehouses, and sold grain to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe throughout Egypt. And all the world came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph, because the famine was severe everywhere. The second um, reading is found in Philippians chapter 2, and verses 6 to 11. Um, We're starting at verse 6 That at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks for having me up here, church family. Let's get myself organised. So a couple of months ago, my one of my best mates uh, messaged me and said, "You need to come over." And so I unexpectedly, I went over to his house and um, to catch up. And he dropped this absolute bombshell on me. He said, "I've got no easy way to say this to you, Joel, but I've got cancer." This this guy's healthy, young. He's got a nine-month-old baby. We're gym buddies together. We'd exercise every week. He's got a growing career. And in a matter of one doctor's visit, his primary worry was what movie to watch on Friday night to how he was going to stay alive. What has been a defining moment in your life? It might not be illness. It might be a good thing. It might be coming to the inner West Church. It might be meeting that special somebody. But what has been that defining moment that as you look back on that time that the trajectory of your lives has changed ever since. From that point, everything has been different. Well, in today's passage, it's a defining moment for Joseph, for Egypt, and we'll later see Israel and God's plan ultimately to save us. So far in Genesis, we've seen God has made a good world that we live in. But through a defining moment of rebellion, we humans have made it bad. And sin has entered this world. But God, in his grace, keeps on giving humanity a chance. Yet as humans, they've continued in sin to stuff it up with violence, broken relationships, and death. And as we look at Joseph's family, it continues, right? Here in chapter 41, we're at the point in Joseph's story where he's repeatedly suffered injustice, betrayal, and that's largely been by his own family, Last week we heard that Joseph was his father's favorite and he bragged about that, so he fell victim to his brother's jealousy. They sent him off to be a slave and he ended up in Egypt. In chapters 39 and 40, Joseph is working in charge of his master's house. And because he wouldn't sleep with his boss's wife, she falsely accuses him of rape and then he's sent into prison. Down there, he met a couple of guys, one being the cupbearer, who then forgot all about him after Joseph had interpreted his dream correctly. So Joseph is left down in prison. What is going on? In every twist and turn, we have seen the Lord has been with Joseph, yet at this point, it seems pretty hopeless. Everything is uncertain. We're left to think, God, what is going on with your plan to rescue and bless this world through this shambles of a family? And that brings us to today's passage where Pharaoh, the top dog, the king, gets these wacky dreams about cows eating each other and grain eating each other. And he had no idea what he meant and none of his wise men or magicians, they didn't have a clue. So finally, the cupbearer remembers Joseph down in prison, and he goes, oh, this guy can do that. He can interpret dreams. So Pharaoh brings him up out of prison, interprets his dreams, and they both mean the same thing. He predicts Egypt will go through seven years of absolute prosperity in the land and then seven years of crippling famine. And just out of prison, he instructs Pharaoh to have a 20% tax on all the food that that is produced, to hide hide this away, so when the famine comes, there is food. So in the devastation of famine through Joseph, God provides plenty of food for this nation and beyond. So in today's passage, we'll see that God humbles and raises up. We'll see that God's plan is always perfect, and we'll see that we are raised up to be a blessing. Point one God humbles and raises up. Come with me to verse 39. And then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace, and all the people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne I will be greater than you. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck he had him ride in a chariot as his second in command, and the people shouted before him, Make way. Thus he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. What a dramatic turn of events. We can't miss this. God epically raises Joseph up from imprisoned rags to dressed in fine linen, wearing gold chains around his neck, all the bling of Tupac, presiding over the whole nation, and on the surface. This could appear to be a nice rags to riches kind of t- story. But this amazing transformation of Joseph's circumstances really mirrors an internal transformation in Joseph. We remember from last week, this guy was not exactly humble. He he was his father's favorite and he made this known and he had no qualms of rubbing it in his fr- brothers' faces. Campbell, helpfully last week, showed us we ought to not moralize Old Testament figures. And to be honest, Joseph, his brothers, all the way back to Abraham on their best day, are pretty morally suspect at best. But here in this chapter, looking at Joseph's character, we now see a Christ-like figure. We've seen a work of grace transforming Joseph's heart. God has done something significant for us to see. So I'm going to make a couple of observations about what God has done in him here. Firstly, God uses suffering to bring humility. Have we seen in Joseph's life thus far, things have gone bad from worse, from situation to situation of betrayal, lies, and injustice. Yet Joseph's radical transformation has been forged by this very suffering and loss and trials. God has a way of using the worst circumstances to transform his people from the inside out. And James talks about this in chapter 4. On the screen, come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve and mourn and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. When I asked us at the top to consider a defi- consider a defining moment in our lives, were they moments of suffering or success? Pretty much every Christian I have met has wonderfully uh, been gloriously transformed by God in, in amazing, uh, different ways. God has a plan for each one of us, and that is so unique. But I've noticed a common theme in every Christian's life, every Christian that I have met, is that God has generally used suffering and loss to draw, him to himself, draw us to himself. In my life, God has brought me to himself when I've been self-sufficient in times of illness. In times I've relied too much on others, he has isolated me. And our ultimate defining moment, our salvation in him, involves being brought low, humbling us with the reality of our sin and our need for grace in Christ Jesus. In Romans 5, it's on the screen. Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with our God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into the grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And the hope that does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured down to our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Friends, if you're encountering a particular trial right now, if you're suffering, I don't want to minimize your pain. It's real. But I want to encourage you today. Eternal, precious work is being done. In Christ, we can even boast or glory in our suffering. For those in Christ, nothing is futile. Nothing is wasted. He's refining us, purifying us, shaping us, giving us his perseverance, his character, his hope, making us into the likeness of Christ. All work of the Holy Spirit. And as we see this in Joseph, come to verse 15. Pharaoh said to Joseph, but I had a dream and no one can interpret it. But I've heard it said of you that what well, then that you you hear a dream and you can interpret it. I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. In this moment, Joseph is giving glory to God for his gift. Joseph's elevation to power is matched by his elevation of what God can do rather than himself. Such a dramatic contrast to his his earlier recollection of his dream, now giving complete glory to God. Unlike the magicians and wise men, he attributed interpretation to God's work, God's power. Friends, the transformative work in rainy days helps us to see God In the sunny days. In moments of success, when things work out at work, or at uni, or in our families, or with friends, do we attribute to his work, his blessing, his grace? Another observation is that Joseph wasn't defined by the injustice inflicted against him. If anyone had a reason to play the pity party or be jaded or bitter. It was this guy, the betrayal by his family, the injustice, being thrown to prison over a lie. But come with me to verse 50. Before the years of the famine came, two sons were born to Joseph by Esenath, the daughter of Potiphar, priest of On. Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh, and it said, It is because God has made me forget all my trouble and my father's and all my father's household. See, in Hebrew culture, names meant everything. They were very significant. And the name of his firstborn son, Manasseh, was a powerful statement to Joseph's mindset and his transformed heart. Commentators note that verse 50, to forget all my trouble in my father's household, he wasn't saying to wipe these people from my mind in a stuff them kind of way. No, it was rather choosing to leave behind his bitterness in the past. It would be so easy for him in his new position of power to be vengeful, outworking that in feeling sorry for himself. But no, we don't see that. He chose to leave behind the bitterness in the past, not defined by the injustice, to no longer be defined by his suffering. He chose not to dwell on the past, but live in the present as he focused on God's promise and God's providential hand over this nation in which he's been placed in charge See, Christianity is not a blind positivity that minimizes suffering and it's not about denying real pain, no, but it's not letting us define us either. When we've been hurt by others, betrayed by those close to us, like Joseph, do we have a kingdom forgetfulness to the pain that people have done to us? Let's be a people, not defined by the worst things done to us, but by the sinless one who unjustly died for us. And my final observation on Joseph's transformation is his humility meant a bold trust. As you skim over verses 33 to 36, we see his interpretation of the dream before Pharaoh was really risky. Even though he was summoned for this, it could have been really bad news for Pharaoh. The seven years of famine really could have put Pharaoh's kingship um, at risk because it was tied to the fertility in the Nile. And we remember how fickle guy th- this guy was. Remember the baker? He was decapitated. But notice Joseph's risky trusting God here. We see him going further than merely interpreting the dream. Him being a foreigner and a correct- convicted criminal directs national economic government policy to him. He appoints government departments and sets out an economic plan for keeping 20% of of produce in reserve for the first seven years of the famine. This was outrageous. This was amazing. See, true humility sometimes means stepping out in faith, trusting God more than ourselves, and this boldness, trusting God, not a brash arrogance that we saw him in, er, we saw with him earlier, but trusting in God's plan, in His sovereignty, and His word—that God is faithful to keep His promise to Abraham and to keep look after this nation. Humble trust in God means being faithful with what God has put in our, hand, our hands right now, even in the worst of situations. When things in life haven't worked out as planned, are we continuing to boldly serve God and use our gifts to glorify Him, not giving up on serving and loving people when we're tempted to think, what is the point? And what was the result of his bold trust in God? Come with me to verse 37. The plan seemed good to Pharaoh and all of his officials. So Pharaoh asked them, Can we find anyone like this man in whom the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has made this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. More than human wisdom, Pharaoh saw the Spirit of the living God in Joseph. Point two, God's plan is always perfect. See, one detail we cannot overlook is it was the Lord who humbles Joseph and it's the Lord who raises him up. This story isn't ultimately about the wisdom or humility of Joseph, but rather the providence of our God. Reading through these chapters of Joseph's life, you'll notice a regular refrain. The Lord gave Joseph success in everything that he did. And while innocently being imprisoned for years isn't ideal, But notice wherever he is, whether in Potiphar's house or in the prison, it was the Lord who raised him up. It was the Lord who gave him influence and authority. The Lord prospered those around him. And notice Joseph's less than ideal circumstances was a context for God's perfect plan. God sovereignly uses our suffering times of injustice not only to humble us but accomplish his perfect plan through us. But in our world, we're so conditioned to think that success in life, God's blessing, means avoiding suffering at all costs. Like that Black Mirror episode where people are rating each other for every interaction, every situation must be perfect. To do well financially, have continual exponential career advancement, yet also have a full and life-giving relationships and family and having that perfect photo of our Saturday morning brunch, yet having perfectly fit bodies that never get sick. But see, Joseph's setbacks here. Before this chapter is a sequence from one painful and uncertain moment to the next. Yet God is powerfully and actively moving behind the scenes to fulfill his perfect plan. See the details. When Joseph's brother devised a plan to destroy him and sell him as a slave, it was God who was working behind the scenes to send him to Egypt. When Potiphar falsely accused him of rape and Joseph was unjustly sent to prison, yet it was God who was working behind the scenes to introduce him to the cupbearer when the cupbearer only concerned from himself forgot joseph and left him down in prison yet it was god who gave pharaoh his dreams and reminded the cupbearer of joseph when the famine threatened egypt the nations and god's promise to make a nation from this family in his perfect timing it was god who gave Pharaoh the dreams. It was God who raised up Joseph to interpret them and it was God who softened Pharaoh's heart to receive them and put Joseph in charge over Egypt. And we see what happens. Come with me to verse 56. And when the famine had spread over the whole country... Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold the grain to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe throughout Egypt. And all the world came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph, because the famine was severe everywhere. See this defining moment. God outworking his perfect plan, raising up Joseph to save Egypt, the nations. Even the nation of Israel we'll see in a few chapters time. See, God perfectly waves our most uncertain and painful moments into his majestic plan for our good and his glory. Hindsight is a wonderful thing. We're only partway through our small part in God's bigger story. Like God, we do not see the big picture. We don't see him gloriously moving behind the scenes as we speak and building his kingdom even when we're sleeping at night. Friends, these moments when we feel forgotten by God, times when we feel like other people or us or our illness have completely stuffed things up, whether it's our careers or relationships or times of too much loneliness, when you've faithfully been praying for and sharing Christ with that friend or family member and you just see nothing When you think that the egg has been scrambled and it just can't be undone, be encouraged by this passage today. Be encouraged by looking back over God's faithfulness in your life. Let us set our hearts on things above. Our God is big, yet he is with us. The most frequent phrases in the account of Joseph's life in the painful moments, was it says that the Lord was with Joseph over and over again. He was the forgotten by the cupbearer, but not God. And he can quickly redeem the most hopeless of situations. God had not forgotten his promise to Abraham. He hadn't forgotten his promise, his dreams given to Joseph, and he hasn't forgotten your eye. See, look, there's no guarantee that in our lifetime on this side of eternity things will always go well for us. We are not guaranteed a rags-to-riches story like Joseph here. In Christ, we do share in his sufferings. But in him, we have a sure hope that God loves us, that he's with us, and there's a day then he'll wipe every tear from our eye. There will be no more death, no more mourning or pain. He took, God took Joseph's brother's plan to destroy and turned into God saving the world through one man. God's plan is always perfect. And my last point, we are raised up to be a blessing. We clearly see God's faithfulness to Joseph in fulfilling his earlier dreams in this story. Yet but at the end of the day, this isn't about God's faithfulness to one guy, but God's promise to a nation and in fact, the world. We more clearly see God's perfect plan as we remember God's promises to Abraham. Back in Genesis 12, 15 and 17, God made a covenant with Abraham. This covenant or God's promise for relationship with Abraham was a defining moment in God's plan to save and bless this rebellious world through this one family. And in today's passage, we actually see God partly fulfilling these promises to Abraham in some ways. Joseph is given land to be in charge of. He enjoys prosperity in the land. He's given descendants, and his name is made great. But in verses 56 to 57, we ultimately see God uses Joseph's economic plan to bring blessing to the nations, God raises up Joseph, not only to save and bless Egypt, but the whole world. Friends, we are raised up to be a blessing because the wonderful news today is that God's promise to Israel to be a blessing to the nations is fulfilled in Christ and now through us, his church. We too are raised up for this very purpose. God is committed to using you and I, ordinary us, to be a blessing in our world, cursed by sin and suffering. Peter talks about it. It's on the screen, verse 9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is our identity, Friends. May this in story, this story today, encourages us that God is more committed to rescue and bless that family member or friend than you are. Yet He chooses to use us through His Spirit to be His blessing in this world. But as Campbell challenged us last week, we, what idols are getting in the way of this? Is is it our reputation at work risking our career? Is it risking our precious small time left for leisure in life? Is it making an effort with that person that's really difficult? At the hospital ward where I work, there is a cleaner on my ward. Her name is Suma, and she's a Christian and she has really bold faith. And every day she does her work, she's cleaning around, not noticed by anyone. But she prays, she prays for the patients on our ward, because the patients on my ward are car crash victims. She prays for them there, and she prays for them at home in her own time. And we had this girl in our ward who couldn't walk or talk, and she was in a pretty bad way. Um, And Suma prayed for her. And the next day she walked and she talked to the astonishment of all the nurses and the doctors. Summa, there just cleaning away in the background. I told her about my mate with cancer. She prayed for him there and there on the spot. See, 90% of Christianity isn't these big hilltop moments, but God uses our worship in the hundreds of little mundane moments, defining moments of Him through His grace, furthering His kingdom. And as Joseph experienced, being God's blessing in the world often comes at a personal cost. Opposition, suffering, it demands our time. It, it humbles us and it elevates God. How is God calling us to be a blessing this week in our community, in our workplaces, together in our MCs? Amongst the curse of loneliness and depression, may we bring the blessing of love and God's family. Amongst the curse of poverty and injustice, may we bring the blessing and provision, justice and hope. Amongst the curse of broken relationships and hurt, may we bring the blessing of reconciliation and peace. Amongst the curse of secularization, may we bring the blessing of Christ and his rightful rule and reign. Like Joseph, we're called to boldly use our gifts with the lowly and the influential alike to powerfully bring God's glory in our broken world. See, God's plan is always perfect. His ultimate defining moment in history was he would raise up another one of Abraham's descendants to rescue and bless our whole world. While Joseph ruled over Egypt, clothed in robes of fine linen, gold chains around his neck, the crowds yelling, make way before his chariot. King Jesus was clothed in a purple cloak to be mocked, wearing a crown of thorns on his head to be despised. His own people shouting, crucify him. Jesus, the ultimate humble one, came as a suffering servant to save and bless a world gripped by a curse. And while the innocent Joseph was falsely accused and sent down into prison, Jesus, the truly innocent son, was falsely accused and unjustly sent to the cross for you and I. Jesus just didn't reverse one famine in history. He took on the cross, taking on the curse of Satan, sin and death, reversing the curse ultimately and once and for all. Rising to new life, he brings ultimate salvation and blessing to this entire world world come with me to the reading today philippians 2 verse 6 and christ jesus who being in the nature of god did not consider equality with god something to be used to his own advantage but rather he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness And also being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at that name, Jesus, the name of Jesus, that every knee should bow in heaven, on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the Father. Well, God used the boastful Joseph and raised him up to rule a nation for a time. Jesus, God's only son, humbled himself to death and God exalted him in glory above every name for all times. In him, our curse of sins are reversed, indeed forgiven. In him, we are raised up to a new life. In him, we're adopted into a new kingdom. In him, we are welcomed into his royal family through his spirit, and today, through Christ, God wants to invite each and every one of us to be part of his kingdom plan, to be a blessing to our world, our community, the inner west, through his spirit. Let me pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you that you've humbled each and every one of us with the reality of our sin, the reality that we need Christ but thank you that in him we're raised up to new life, that in him you've given us a plan and a purpose, together as your people. We thank you that your plan is always perfect, that you choose, even in our painful moments, to weave your majestic plan. May we trust you in these tough times and seek to glorify you even in them. And Lord, we thank you that you've called each and every one of us to be your blessing in this world. This week in the community, even at lunch after today, at work. May we be an instrument of blessing for you. May your name be lifted high. I pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.